So what's the most does not compute way to approach the last episode of a host? Me, in this case. Do we just, I think we just mostly ignore it and just kind of talk. We, we just have a phone call. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the motto of the show is we just have a phone call. Basically, yeah. Just a phone call. Well, it's an internet VoIP call. That's been one, that's been like one of the most constant themes, along with know your tools and uh, don't be too hasty about changes to your, to your workflows. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been one of the most constant themes of this show, I feel like, is good Lord, we can't get phone calls on the internet to work. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you have good Wi-Fi, if you have poor Wi-Fi. Right now I'm tethering on my phone actually because the Wi-Fi here is not great. So it doesn't matter. Uh, it does not matter where you're at. You could be... You could be in the same house on the same network in two different rooms and still have random problems. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. It's wildly difficult to transmit your voice across the internet. It's something that we perfected—not perfected, but we were doing pretty reliably as a species over a hundred years ago. Yeah, it's just—I don't know. That's just technology in general. Like, I have my computer plugged into an audio interface, and the settings clearly show that. Uh, audio should be playing through. I have the monitor turned off, first of all, so there's no monitoring. I don't know why it would monitor to my computer. That's not how it works. Second, uh, all of my audio settings say that all audio should be routed through my Onyx Blackjack, yet when I get a text, it still comes through my MacBook Pro speakers. That's <laughs> great job, everybody. Everybody give yourselves a round of applause. Right, yeah. And so, I mean, you. we just talked about you having your computer keyboard, well, the whole bottom chassis of your computer replaced. And I noticed today that my left arrow is sticking and I'm kind of scared a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm pretty frustrated about this whole thing. So um, a couple of weeks ago, I went to bed and my computer was working great. I had used it that day right before I went to bed. And then I woke up and I went back to my computer that had simply been sitting on my desk overnight and the keyboard didn't work. I brought it into Apple. There was a whole thing with my warranty being three days out of date for the, these keyboards that they know are defective. I, I ended up I ended up being able to to convince them to not charge me for the repair. Thankfully, they they did the repair, which took five days, where I didn't have my computer. They sent it back, and now, literally, less than one week later, after me receiving the repair back, my keys are sticking again too. Like I, this is this is really really unacceptable. <laughs> and it wasn't even really a sticky key thing before, was it? It was that the the keyboard as a whole just didn't do anything. Yeah, so the entire keyboard stopped working. Like, none of the keys, it, they weren't sticky. They, they, they felt just how they had felt before, which is to say kind of unreliable. But they didn't produce any output. They didn't actually send any signals to the operating system, as far as I could tell. Um, and, and I don't know if that's a related issue. I don't know if that's some other hardware design issue with these butterfly keyboards, like w- with the actual connection between them and the and the motherboard. I, I don't know. I, I don't even know if that would be covered under this new. So literally the day I picked up my laptop from the Apple store when it was shipped back from repair, Apple announced that they were going to extend the, not the warranty, but the keyboard warranty basically for all of the, the butterfly switch MacBooks for four years from the date of purchase. Right. Um. So if I hadn't fought back and said, this is ridiculous that you're charging me for this, then, then it would have still been extended. <laughs> Literally on the day that I received the keyboard, the the computer back, right? Um, which is on its own kind of astounding that it took them that long to to acknowledge that because this has been a problem for some time now. Yeah, quite a while. Um, but but regardless, they've they've done that, which is great. I mean that that's awesome. 
But the fact of the matter is, it seems like they're replacing, they're doing these warranties, they're doing these repairs, but they're replacing those keyboards with keyboards that have all of the same problems. Sure. Uh, you're experiencing this. I, I experienced a complete keyboard failure, which again, I don't know if that is, is a related problem or not, but it certainly feels related, at least in terms of how it impacted my workflow. Uh, I had to give my computer to Apple for five days, five business, literally I brought it in on a Sunday and I got it back on a Friday. Right. Like that's a that's an entire week where if I didn't have a loaner computer, I wouldn't have been able to do my job. And and that's just that's pretty unacceptable. And and that was also to make it ma- to make matters worse, it was also during a week where we were still kind of freaking out about getting everything done on time for our deadline. And thankfully, thankfully I, I did have a backup laptop and we made a ridiculous amount of progress during that week and this week. Yep. And we're now sitting in a spot where I feel very comfortable about where we're at with this this feature that we have to ship. I do. But I mean none of that is really Apple's concern directly, but uh, I I think on a on a deeper level, the reason that I switched to Apple computers over 10 years ago now is because I was so impressed with their with their hardware quality and their support. And their hardware quality obviously is having some issues right now, and their support, unfortunately, I feel like, also is having major, major problems. Um, Apple was a company where I could trust that if I purchased their products, they would support me at least through the the first couple years of ownership. Like the, the really what you would consider the useful life of a advanced consumer technology product. Yeah, they would really do whatever it took to make sure that I was a happy customer, and I no longer feel that way. I, I straight up feel now that Apple really doesn't care about me as a customer. They only see me as a sales figure, which is which is not a great spot to be in. And the the fact that the hardware is also kind of just not that great anymore, really a lot of these things add up to remind me of all the reasons that I switched away from Windows laptops, again, like 10, 11 years ago. Yeah. All of those same things are why I left Microsoft, why I left Windows, and now this is happening to me again with Apple products, and that's really—it's a bummer. Yeah, I feel I feel kind of similar. I, I get exactly what you're saying, and that's kind of why I switched to back when I think it, I just started college is when I got my first MacBook Pro. But it was kind of the same thing. I had just cheap laptops, and I would always throw Linux on them, and. Then when I got uh, when I got the MacBook Pro, I was like, "Wow, this feels like there's no other laptop that I've ever owned that compares to how this feels when you hold it, or really how you use it." Because the software, the software felt really solid. It felt really um, just good. And the funny thing is, like there there just wasn't a better option back then. And now it feels like a lot of people kind of say that like the hardware is so good. So I talk about trackpads a lot and. Yeah, there's a lot of trackpads on on Windows laptops that are just really, really, really bad. I'm looking at one right now. I don't use a trackpad. It's so bad. Um, but there are viable options out there. Like I was reading a view today for one of the newer Surface Book 2s. And like you, I hadn't looked at a Surface Book since like it was first launched. It was To me, it looked like an iPad with a smart keyboard attached to it. And now I was reading that review. I was like, wow, this seems certainly viable. I mean, he was saying that he literally got you know 12 hour battery life watching one netflix on a plane i was like that sounds crazy because i'm plugging my macbook pro into a into a spare battery that i carry around after three hours you know uh and the big thing there was he was saying that the trackpad was just as good it it wasn't um 
it wasn't like better than Apple's trackpad, but it wasn't worse than Apple's trackpad. And to me, that says a lot. That's a, that communicates a lot about the hardware of the machine. Absolutely. I think it would be really difficult, honestly, to have a better trackpad than the Apple trackpads. That is that is one thing in the MacBooks where I'll say nobody is doing this any better than Apple. This is really, really good. It just feels great. It feels incredibly natural to use. It feels great to click. I know some people don't like the don't like the software click that it does now, the, the haptic feedback thing, but honestly, I love it. I actually had to hand my laptop into Apple just the other week for this repair, and I used my wife's laptop as, as a loaner um, with my development environment set up on it, and it has it's the last generation before they removed the, the physical click on the trackpad. And I was actually like, well, actually, no, this is not good. <laughs> This is not good. This is. I'm glad that they switched away from this. I'm glad that you can click anywhere now, and it always feels the same. It feels very consistent. It it's just a better feeling. It is certainly a different feeling, but I think I think it is pretty unequivocally better. Um, and I, I don't think anybody is doing trackpads better than Apple. I, I think that is one one area where they have they have really stayed ahead of the pack. But the fact of the matter is, if I have to bring my keyboard in, let let's say Apple hypothetically extended that not just four years from the date of purchase but indefinitely as long as you owned the laptop past the date of purchase where they would they would fix these keyboard problems it's still not worth it to me to have to bring in my laptop and lose it for an entire week every n months every handful of months yeah just to have this computer i i I think that other manufacturers have caught up and uh, apple apple software the Apple, apple ecosystem is still a lot better Audio Hijack is a, is a great example of this, um, where these apps that are made for the Mac from these companies that have spent all of their company lifetimes on learning how to make great software for the Mac, they're just they're just stellar. And I, I think that it's unfortunate to lose some of that stuff, but the more and more I think about it, I just really need a reliable computer. Mm-hmm. And if I can't get that from Apple, then I need to get it from somewhere else. That that's the bottom line. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the bottom line. So I mean, today I was in a groove. I was getting a lot done, and then I noticed that my key was sticking. And what did that do? It ceased all work because then I was trying to figure out how do I get this key unstuck. So, you know, developers always talk about the combo breaker, and you always see that cartoon where you're like creating a universe, and someone taps you on the shoulder, and it's all gone. Well, it's the same thing with a sticky key on a keyboard. Uh, it just zapped all my productivity because then I was worried about it and I messaged you like hey my key is sticking now and you're like oh my m key is sticking now (laughs) and so it was like a combo breaker for both of us and so if you think about that time your time is money my time is worth money so if I'm stopping and spending my time thinking and worrying about something about this hardware then that that cost me money down the road that might be a, maybe it may be a little bit of an exaggeration but really that's how i see it is okay this is starting to be a recurrent thing where i'm not being productive anymore i'm thinking about this problem that i'm having and that takes away from my time and thinking about what i actually do to make money and it's kind of to me it's not okay because in my history of owning a mac especially macbook pro i've had I've only ever had uh, a computer besides a MacBook Pro once, and that was the 12-inch MacBook. But in the history of owning a MacBook Pro, I've never, I've never had to worry about this, and suddenly I do because there's all sorts of little problems. Some of it hardware, some of it software. Um, for example, I think I was telling you today that 
uh, or no, it was yesterday. I, no matter what I tried to do, just one of my AirPods would only connect to my computer. So I was trying to like, I was trying to take this call and I was like, sorry, my hair, my AirPods just won't connect to my phone. I was like, my $150 headphones aren't going to connect to my $1,000 iPhone 10. I don't know. Sorry. You know, I'm sorry that I'm so distracted right now, but I'm trying to get my products that are made by the same manufacturer to work together. Yeah, it's 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 really not, it's really just not okay. And it, it's kind of, it's unfortunate because like you said, these are not cheap products. These are products that people really, really do save up for, people really do spend a lot of money on at the very least. And the fact that when you buy them from the same manufacturer for the entire idea that they will work together seamlessly and flawlessly, I don't think it's unrealistic to expect that. They will work seamlessly and flawlessly. <laughs> they used to, it seems like. They did at one point in time. And I, I don't I don't know. What's really weird to me is I this you look at the timing of all this and, and people always say it's ridiculous that Steve Steve Jobs was obviously not the reason Apple was so successful. They were one of the largest and most successful companies in the world. And I agree with that viewpoint. Yeah, it, there's no way that a one man could be the only reason that it, that an entire company that is one of the most successful and monetarily successful companies in the entire world ever of all time got to where they were. But a few years after Steve Jobs unfortunately passed away, Apple products just don't work even together anymore. And that, that, seems, that seems wild to me, and it feels like a conspiracy theory sort of thing. But it, it's the reality of the situation. These products just don't work as well as they did a few years ago. Yeah, that's, that's how I feel about it. And I, I've been thinking a lot about, so obviously I have the whole Ubuntu tower at home, and I use Linux uh, for working when I'm there. And so I've been thinking actually a lot about the software side of things, like you were saying. Uh, the Mac ecosystem has a lot of great apps. Like you're saying, Audio Hijack is, is, is awesome. And I went around looking for just audio hijack, Postico, Transmit. Yeah, like there, there are so many of these things where it's like th this is a really, this is a really awesome thing. Paw is another fantastic example of this. Paw is great. Yeah, where I, I know you're, you're a gigantic fan of Paw. Paw, for any of our listeners who don't know, is a, it's basically an HTTP client. It's a thing that lets you set up really complex but reproducible requests to a web server. Yeah, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this stuff because I'm like I use all these tools and a lot of them are specific to the Mac. What what then? And what I found was I didn't really have a problem replacing most of them. So on on Windows or Linux, I was using I've been using Insomnia, uh, which which is actually made by my new friend of the show Greg. Uh, and it works it works well you know it, it doesn't have everything that paul has but it certainly does enough for what i need and for example what are the other ones you said postico uh which is a database uh client there i can't remember the name of the one that i found but there were several uh tower there's one called get kraken that works on linux uh, tower also works on windows for what that's worth um, and i also found myself just using web the web versions of stuff more uh, so for example, on my Mac, I use, uh, the Mac app for Trello and on Linux, I just use uh, the Chrome app, the web app for, <laughs> for Trello. And there are other things too, like, um, for example, recording this podcast, I mean, you and I use audio hijack, but I did a couple of test recordings, uh, earlier or later last week. 
and I was using something called Zencaster, which is all web-based, and it worked fine. And I just sent a link out to somebody and said, hey, here's your link. They jumped in. Uh, I pushed one button. It recorded both of our audio like we normally do. And then they're like, cool, see you later. And then I just had both files just right then. And it worked worked fine. So it's interesting that while it's certainly hard to replace some of the Mac apps and the experience isn't quite the same, the web, the plat- web as a platform has come really long way. And I feel like no matter what operating system I'm on, I could actually be comfortable. So yeah, I could technically do my job on any platform, but I feel like I could actually be comfortable on any platform now. Yeah, I I think that's that's a really important and really kind of underlooked thing, Um, just how far the web has come in the last decade since, I I guess since the iPhone, basically, since the original iPhone. Yeah. when when we talked about when Steve Jobs originally announced the iPhone and talked about how you can develop apps for it, they're called web apps, and it, that was kind of a jokey thing for for a number of years until I think fairly recently. But you look at it now, and web technology really actually has caught up in in many regards in terms of being able to do most of what most it, it, it's kind of one of the 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 eighty twenty thing. Uh, what's that? The Pareto principle or whatever? Yeah, uh, where it. Web apps now can really do most of what most users need most of the time. And I, I don't think the web is perfect. I, th- I think that there, unfortunately, there is some some vendor locking happening and, and blocking of browser features, especially from Apple, uh, unfortunately, in regards to what the web can do, what browsers can do, and what they're allowed to do. Um, but that being said, the web really allows you to get a lot of stuff done now you can do all of your doc stuff you can do all of your kind of office stuff in the web even if you want to use microsoft ecosystem things you can just do that in the web now for the most part and yep i I think it's i think that's so powerful and i I think we're really seeing um a, a generation of developers and web developers in particular who grew up or at least came of age using apple hardware and software are are now I think hopefully seeing that the web is fulfilling a lot of those needs. Um, web technologies are fulfilling a lot of those needs, and I, I think VS Code is another great example of this. Of obviously VS Code is not something you run in your browser, but it's all based on web technologies, and it is a crop platform tool that allows you to write all sorts of different software on whatever platform you happen to be on, because it is completely portable. Yep, and, and I I feel like I feel like to a, a large extent. The entire uh, the entire philosophy of write once run anywhere is being fulfilled by the web, just maybe not as quick as the technologists might like. Yeah, I yeah I could, I think so. Yeah, I can agree with that. I mean, there's there's certain ways there's certain like there's a whole you know native versus uh, web debate, and when it comes to apps and performance and just you know, eye candy and, and maybe eye candy is not the right word there, but I think at this, I think you get the sentiment that I'm going for. And really at the end of the day, while some, you know, games are games, for example, I mean, there's, there's movements there with like, uh, uh, what, what's the term I'm looking for, Paul, things like unity, for example, you can export a game into a web environment. Uh, but I think at some, at some level, you know, native is, is always gonna be better for some tasks, but for the vast majority of things, like I think web gets the job done. And I think for the vast majority of apps, users don't care about that eye candy. They just want the thing to work and they want it to be uh, stable. 
I think those are the two main, you know, main things. And you can get that. You can get that with the web. You can get that with PWAs. You can get that uh, pretty easily without having that vendor lock-in, without having um, to support multiple ecosystems in terms of, you know, or multiple apps that are coming from different ecosystems and stuff like that. So, I mean, I've kind of been a fan and like been cheering for the web and that whole discussion. And in I think that, you know, at Design Collective, for example, uh, a friend of mine was just talking like, oh, do you have an iOS app? And I was like, well, I don't really, you know, I don't really think we need one. Uh, you know, our mobile, our mobile site needs a little bit of work, but it, it'd be, I'd be hard pressed to be convinced that we need an iOS app over a really good mobile website. Yeah, that, that's something that I've found myself thinking about a lot more recently because of kind of my own thoughts and concerns over privacy and just generally how people use their phones, which, which are probably a separate discussion. But what I, what I mean by that really is that I, I'm using Safari a lot more personally. I'm using the web browser that it's provided with my OS to access sites that I care about and content that I care about more. And I, I, really, I really hope that more companies choose to go in that direction where they, they provide access to their content in a, in a very nice way. I'm not saying it has to be a diminished experience. It might have to be slightly diminished in terms of the bouncy scrolling that you expect from your chat bubbles or something like that. But I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure how much that really matters. And I, I think a lot of that stuff is superfluous. And I think a lot of it is really just, like you said, I think eye candy is a great way to put it. Eye candy in the sense that it is not, it does look nice and it feels nice and it tastes good to eat, but it's not necessarily actually that important to the overall experience. Um, and, and I think I think that web technologies, for the most part, even on mobile devices, are at the point where they can provide most of what most people need most of the time. I'm not saying there is no space. Yes. For native apps, I think there is obvious. I think there is obviously, and for at least for the foreseeable future is an obvious space for native apps. I think that I think that companies should really be encouraging their users to use their web browser a little bit more. Yeah, I can see that. I should do that a little bit more than I do. And I think that's kind of what I think that's kind of what we're doing <laughs> with Design Collective. This has been this has been a wild few weeks. So I've been stationed up here in Indiana. So my wife and I, as I imagine most listeners know by now, but maybe this is my last episode. I'm going to talk about myself a little bit. Uh, we've been traveling the country for like four months now in a van and I've been tethered uh, while working as a full-time software developer. I've just been on on a Verizon tethering plan. Um, and I, I think this is something where I, I look at, I look at how a lot of, a lot of these larger companies are working right now. And it, it just doesn't feel right. It just doesn't sit right to me, and and that's not a super, that's not a super technical way to explain that. This doesn't feel right to me, but I, I think that I think that a lot of these companies are asking for a lot more information than they need to, and I think that users are offering that information up because it is not properly explained to them what that information is going to be used for. Um, and and I I find myself very concerned about uh, about the the level of the the power differential, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the power differential between these these giant companies who who are saying these things and have teams of people coming up with ways to explain those things to people, and the way that the that their users are able to respond to those things. I, I think that individual people have 
have a really limited set of responses and a, a really limited set of what they can do in order to respond to these giant companies with these giant legal teams and these giant copy teams writing things and explaining them away in, in, in different ways. And <laughs> again, this feels wildly, I, I feel like a conspiracy theorist when I talk about this sort of stuff, but I'm not, I'm not saying there is a massive conspiracy. I'm saying, I, I guess that a conspiracy has to be hidden. And I don't think any of this is hidden. I think all of this is very obvious to anyone who's really paying attention. And I think it is, it is more just an unfortunate acceptance by the, by the major part of the populace. In saying that this is something we're we're okay with signing away our rights for for access to Instagram. Yep. Yeah. It, something like Instagram seems very innocuous on the surface level, right? But you actually then then when you think about the actual amount of data that they have and the actual amount of data that they are gathering on each individual user, it, it truly becomes, um, I guess, just terrifying is the word that I'm looking for. I didn't want to say that because it sounds hyperbolic, but I don't think it is. It's a lot of information about a lot of people. It is, yeah. And and, and you think about who owns uh, Instagram, and then you think about Facebook, and you think about how much data they're collecting, and it's it's pretty pretty. Uh, uh, I you know I don't I don't like it. I don't. It makes me feel uneasy. And the same thing with Google. Uh, how much data they have, you know? Because how many people have Google Maps on their phones or their devices? Well. Uh, I read, I'll have to post the article in the show notes, but there was an article that said that you could do something to maps and, sh- and view your uh, location history on the maps. And so you can actually like see them. It's like they're plotting everywhere you go, which is what happens. When you share your location, his- like your data, they just get pinged and they have your location and they can plot it on a timeline over time, you know? So it's just, it's just crazy uh, to to think about that. And like you're saying, you just kind of, you don't have to opt into it, but it's almost like you do have to opt into it because those services are becoming essential almost to to daily life. I don't maybe that's a weird way to say it or not the right way to say it, but that's how it feels certainly. Well, th- this is something as somebody who's been traveling the country for the for the last several months, I, I I've become acutely aware of. I I feel as though I'm constantly selling my location to these companies in order to to get a little bit of useful information for them, like where I should go for dinner. Right. Um, and I, I think that kind of sounds crazy, but it's a little bit, I don't know. I, I, I think there is some value in having a, a, a sense in maintaining a sense of what you're, what you're keeping private and what you're giving away. Um, and, and I think, I think a lot of the way that this, this stuff is presented a lot of the way that these location prompts are presented a lot of the way that all of this, all of these requests for your information are presented, that that makes it seem as though it's only going to be used for this one feature, but that's almost never the case. As we found out from the way from all of these various data breaches and stuff over the last several years, these companies just it, it, there's not there's not really a way you can collect this much data and keep it private. It's just not how it works practically. You might want it to work that way, but I don't think that that's actually how it works, which I think is is, is kind of unfortunate, but it seems to be the reality of the situation. Yeah, it's no matter what, there's it's, it's going to get out there somehow. So if someone wants it bad enough, they're going to find a way to get it. And there's not a whole lot you can do about that. It's Yeah, it's it's a, it's an interesting conversation. And you talk to some people and they're like, I'm fine with that. So it, what's interesting is that, I guess it depends on what your what your sensibilities are. Like if there are things, it's not that you want to keep things private to be for them to be hidden. 
but some people have uh, a greater sense of privacy or a need for privacy and some people have less so and they're okay with sharing that information and I think part of it's just cultural too everyone else is doing it everyone else is on there so so why does it matter if I'm on there as well so I think a great example of this is actually you and me uh, you use a VPN more than anybody I know you are you're constantly basically hiding your identity from unauthorized third parties whereas I effectively never use a VPN and I, I'm the one who, who talks about this stuff a lot. I, I'm really into all the security and privacy stuff, but I actually don't use a VPN most of the time. And I, I think that that is, that is a really clear example of how different people can look at the same sets of facts and reach not necessarily different conclusions about them, but different conclusions about how they should respond to them personally. Yep. Um, I, I think that is, that's a kind of weird nuanced argument or thing to think about, but I think it's very important to think about those sort of weird and nuanced things when you're talking about things like privacy, which are inherently weird and nuanced. It's true. And it's funny because every time I say, oh, my VPN's causing this weird issue, you're like, what are, what unencrypted sites are you going to? And I'm always like, you never know. You just never know. <laughs> For me, I see it kind of like I, I want to steward the information that I have well, so I'm being paid to do a job in my, my, my job, uh, in doing my job, I handle lots of secret keys. I handle lots of things that should be kept private and nobody else should have access to, uh, because we do have most of our information is not user identifiable, but we have some information and I don't want that getting out. So obviously the chances are like someone can't wave a wand over my laptop and get that information, but I, I work from uh, I work from public places a lot like Pete's and Starbucks and different coffee shops. And again, I said earlier, like if someone really wants to get something, they're going to find a way to get it. But I feel like most of, most of the job is just kind of showing up in different ways. And me trying to show up in a different way is, is, um, throwing a VPN up. So if that's an extra layer that someone has to go through to get my stuff, then, I'm less likely of a target. Uh, maybe that's maybe that's more like a placebo effect or a placebo feeling. <laughs> but you know, if if someone wants uh, money and there's two people standing in front of them, and one person has, uh, I don't know, one person has two pairs of pants on over a wallet, one person has one pair of pants on over a wallet. Which 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 pair of pants do you think, or which person do you think the the thief is going to go for? That's kind of how I look at it. The wallet that isn't RFID protected. That's right. <laughs> That's a good a good answer, <laughs> um, but that's I mean that's a that's a good answer for that because because you know that's there's, there's just so many angles it's hard to consider everything and and be fully protected but try. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I don't I, I think I, you obviously know this, but I want to make sure that everybody listening knows. This. Obviously, I don't begrudge you using a VPN. <laughs> um, I, I'm still gonna I'm still gonna joke about you using a VPN too much, but. I, I think that it is very important to think about those things and how two people who are who are both very security minded and both very concerned about information leakage could approach that problem in very different ways. Right. And not saying I'm not saying I am not a security expert. Uh, I do read a fair bit about security and, you know, I, I've worked in technology for quite a long time. So I have some sense of security things, but I will never claim to be a security expert. And, and, and so I, I'm not going to say this is the right way to do things. This is not the right way to do things. I, I don't. I, that would be ridiculous. I feel like, but but I think it is important to acknowledge that those differences do exist. 
It is important to acknowledge that. So this is this is my last episode on the show, and there's one thing I want to touch on really quick because I, I feel like when we started Does Not Compute, we were both just starting to experiment with Vue, and it's now two and a half. Oh man, two and a half, almost three years later. I want to say unequivocally that Vue. I want this to be on the record. Vue and Nux.js have absolutely transformed the way I work and the way that I think about my own interactions with technology and software development. Um, I, I think that this is a this is a new way of working for web developers. Um, and I don't want to say that React is... I'm not, I'm not saying React is bad or anything like that. Absolutely, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that these are the tools that I have used over the last few years and I have discussed a lot on this show and become very, very deeply familiar with. And goodness gracious, I feel so blessed and so fortunate to have discovered them at the time that I did. And um, they are fantastic. And if anybody wants to talk about them, I will be happy to talk about them and and help with any questions you might have about them. Because I, I think these tools are are just absolutely, absolutely wonderful. Uh, and I, I just deeply appreciate the teams behind them. Yeah, you heard that, Chris. I feel like that's been really the, the arc of this show is when we started this, we talked about really liking, really liking your tools and really sticking with your tools and understanding your tools. And over the course of a couple of years, I've gone through several tools but the ones that have been very, very constant for me are Vue and then slightly later, but not that much later, Nuxt. And they are they are just absolutely wonderful. They are. Um, so just a sincere, as I leave the show, just a sincere thanks to all the maintainers of Vue and all the maintainers of Nuxt for, for everything that you've done for the community and for developers and for users of the applications that those developers make. Yeah, it... Uh... It really it's transformed how we work, and we I mean we were able to split an app down the middle, and as of earlier today, I put up production servers uh, for testing next week for our it's live baby. <laughs> it's really it really happened. We did it. Uh, so I'm sure some people that listened to it when we said we're going to do this, they're like, yeah, they're yeah, right. We did it, and. Uh, that a lot of that is due to um, just Vue and how made how simple it made it. It like we didn't have to learn a bunch of new paradigms and stuff. We just used Vue how we've always used it, and Nux, you know, giving us some guidelines, and then it just it just worked. <laughs> and uh, we did it in under a month with added while at the same time adding additional features, uh, which to me is is pretty amazing. But it's it's funny because. Like we were talking in our, our call earlier today, our team call, we were saying like this feels like a, a new beginning in certain ways for, for the application. And uh, it feels, I don't know, it feels good. It feels like good things on the horizon. It just feels like today I was just having fun. And I think like once an hour, one of us messages each other like, man, this is awesome. This tool chain is awesome. Uh, I just did all this work and it was easy. And and what should I do next? <laughs> and that's never been a thing that you and I have been saying to each other. Like, oh, what should I do next? It's never been a thing. Uh, I don't know if anyone ever in a startup has, in the history has ever said, what should I do next? Because the Trello is basically empty. <laughs> uh, in terms of this project anyway, of course. There's there's plenty of things to do. But that was something that happened today, which I don't know. I just think that's cool. Yeah, and w what's more telling to me than saying, oh, a Trello board is empty or we're asking what should we do next, what's really telling to me is that th this just feels... 
it feels like we're at the point where we I, I wish every app I'd ever launched had been. Mm-hmm. This is what I always wanted. The, these are all of the these are all of the problems that I wanted solved, and that even the business people who were hounding me for features wanted solved. Yeah. And now instead of me having to say, well, you know, I'm going to have to figure that out, I can just say these are this is solved. And now we can work on new features, new cool stuff for this app, which is which is extremely exciting and extremely extremely gratifying. And it feels wonderful to have spent 2-3 years on this stack and have it all pay off in this sort of way. In this sort of where where I can in this sort of way where I can look at it and say, "Wow, yeah, this is really this is really a great baseline. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. A great baseline. That that was something that we that we were talking about earlier is the the fact that this is a baseline. This is the the worst it will be under this new system, and it's already leagues ahead of what we ever had before. Yeah, and and what's interesting is that we are still using Vue the same almost the same way as we did when we first picked it up. And so I, I, I'm hanging on Twitter a lot and other places and I see all these new patterns coming in like, oh, you can use functional components for this and you can use uh, CSS and JS for this and then you can do that and you can make Vue do this. And I'm thinking to myself, I've never had to do that. Uh, I don't know why I would need to do that, but it's cool. Yeah, I'm not opposed to those things, but it is kind of amazing that we've been using Vue for like three years now or coming up on three years and it it feels it still feels like pretty much the same thing. I don't think I can say that for anything else other than Rails. Yeah. Which R- Rails is a whole is a whole separate topic of discussion I think. But it there really are very few systems where you can buy into what the system is like and then 3 years later look back at what the system was like 3 years ago. And say, yeah, I still dig it. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a fair assessment. I hope Elixir will be that way, and uh, we're barely using Phoenix as it is now, uh, especially with the API. I mean, we're using controllers and stuff, but most of Design Collective is just Elixir and Ecto. So hopefully, we'll, I'll, hopefully, I'll be the same. I th- I think I will. Like I'm making a bet on Elixir, and I like it a whole lot, and I think that I'll keep liking it a whole lot. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's been one of the tools that I used, have used on every single project almost in the past, like you said, three years and I wouldn't, I wouldn't really have it any other way. Yeah. All right. So we're almost 45 minutes into this recording. Um, this is my last episode, but you are continuing the show. Yep. I personally, I, Paul Straw would like to hear about your plans for the show, Sean Washington. So, uh, in the beginning of this episode, you talked about like, what is, what would be, it does not, like, what is it boiled down to? Uh, and beyond like thinking about the concepts and ideas, like you're saying, learn your tool set well and enjoy your tool set and keep things, you know, just like the general principles to me, the, the show really boils down to people talking to people in our case, a person talking to a person and there, we just happen to be talking about technology because that's something that we have in common. Now we could probably easily do a show not about technology and talk just as much. Uh, but this show happens to be technology related. But really, I think like what it boils down to is people talking to people. 
and that's what I want to keep doing. And so I'm going to keep the show going and I'm not, I don't have any spoilers. I'm not going to release any spoilers yet, but uh, it's going to keep going. And, and the arc of the show is going to be pretty, pretty much the same where it's just people talking to people and we'll talk about technology because that's what we're doing. And that's what we're interested in. We spend a lot of time doing that. So we're going to talk about it. And some of the people that I have, you know, slated to talk to are just, they just, they're just, I don't know, deeper in their fields than I am. I feel like that's how I see them. Uh, so like they, you know, they know more about Elixir and embedded programming and all that stuff, or they, they know more about front or whatever, you know, but really I just want, I just want to be talking to people, having good conversations. And if the listeners, uh, fourth wall, if, the, if you listeners can benefit from that, that's, that's cool. But almost the show's almost, it's for me more than anybody else. I think because for me, it feels like sitting down with, with a friend and just talking to that person about what you've been doing. And for us, we do that every single day because we work together, <laughs> you know, but anyway, not to ramble too much about that, but that's kind of like, that's kind of what my vision is, is just keep, keep doing that and just keep talking to people and keep having conversations with people. Well, I, I think that sounds fantastic. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing what that turns out like. And I, on a side note, I don't think that I would have really been comfortable ending the show unless we were already contractually obligated in, in another <laughs> in another context to keep talking to each other. Yeah. Um. So I'm I'm very much looking forward to continuing to talk to you on a daily basis. Um. But uh. But yeah. I guess that's I guess that's a series wrap for me, as they say in the business. As they say in the business, yeah, yeah, I think that um, I think that you'll still be in the show quite often, um, whether you're in the show or not, because uh, <laughs> I do another podcast sometimes, and uh, I'll put that I'll, be, I'll put a link in the show notes, and I talk about you almost every time I talk in in the show. Uh, it's a biweekly show, and I think I've talked to you, I think there's like four episodes out, and I think I mentioned you four times, so <laughs> you'll still be you'll still be around. Um, you know, and people can still get, get at you and, and contact you and talk about view and, and all of your, your relevant interests. But yeah, I think that, I think it'll be good. Like I said, I think for me, it's, it's more for me than anything, because I look at my whole career and I've kind of been, except for, you know, octopus, uh, I've kind of been just by myself and working by myself, whether it was freelancing, traveling, touring, um, living in small towns, whatever. I'm just kind of like the programmer there, if that makes sense. And for me, that's almost like a way to connect with other people that do what I do in a sense, but also kind of cultivate those friendships. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes as well. Hopefully people are interested. And if they're not, that's fine too. I'll still probably do hangouts with people, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Well, I guess this is the part of the show where we say goodbye um, normally people would say, Hey, hit me up on Twitter, <laughs> but I'm not really on Twitter anymore. Yeah. So if you want to say, if you want to say hi or bye or whatever you want to say, you can just email me at Paul Straw at paulstraw.com. And that's a series wrap for Paul Straw. It's a series wrap. Well, I would say bye, but I'll just be messaging you in two minutes. So yeah, we'll talk in a second. Probably, probably less than that. I'll just send you a message on Discord. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. See you, Ben. I'll talk to you later.